The Philadelphia Orchestra and its music director, Yannick Nezitsegen, have launched a thrilling three-album recording cycle of Rachmaninoff symphonies and other orchestral scores via Deutsche Grammophon. Maestro Nezitsegen is here with us to discuss this landmark set of recordings. Hello, Yannick. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hello, that's a great pleasure. Yannick, you've admired Rachmaninoff's writing since your early years as a pianist, and you've said that what drew you to his language was the sound world, the melancholy, the sense of drama, the immense and long melodies, and his sense of rhythm. It's true that what captured my attention when I was a very young musician, young pianist, were Rachmaninoff's concertos for piano. But unlike some of my colleagues when I was a student, you know, in piano, what attracted me to this music was not the sheer virtuosity, or I never really was so eager to learn <laughs> all those very difficult piano writing. Immediately my ear, I realize now, was drawn to the orchestra when I was listening to the concertos. And when I say the orchestra, I mean the larger fabric of the music, which is beyond the piano writing, and it's the harmonic structure first, and especially the third piano concerto was maybe my entry point to Rachmaninoff's music. And I remember feeling that this journey, you know, of what, 45 minutes was just the most amazing, emotionally speaking, roller coaster. The structure was just so great and the star from some depth, almost like a memory of distant times, became so intense and flesh and blood later on and sweat and tears. And at the end, the triumph was just even better. So this is how I got my entry point. And eventually, of course, I was exposed to the second symphony, which by many accounts is one of his masterpieces. But then, of course, from the second symphony, was interested later on to study when I was a conducting student. I was interested in uh, learning more about the rest of the symphonic works of Rachmaninoff. And that led to even one anecdote, a fun fact about my life. My very first concert as a guest conductor with Orchestre Metropolitain in Montreal, of which I'm still the music director, was an all Rachmaninoff program, which was the second piano concerto and the second symphony. So I think Rachmaninoff has always been very present in my musical life. This three-album project follows naturally from your recordings of the composer's piano concertos with Daniil Trifonov, which includes the 2021 Grammy-nominated Destination Rachmaninoff Arrival. The concerto is an orchestral experience plus a soloist. Can you talk about the difference in those two forms? A concerto, of course, varies between one composer and the other, but I think that a concerto is first and foremost, yes, a display of the virtuosity of a musician. And it's a very popular form for centuries it has been because it combines the beauty, of course, of the music and the skill of writing music with this very important factor of risk-taking, witnessing the virtuosity and witnessing the abilities uh, on a technical level a given concert pianist or violinist or any other instrument can display. 
But what I'm interested in especially is to see that over the course of the 19th century and of course the early 20th century, the concerto became more like a symphony in terms of, yes, combining the virtuosity and the display with increasingly more attention to the message and to the content and to make sure that a concerto is actually a real dialogue between the orchestra and the soloist. And I think because Rachmaninoff was such a sensational, legendary pianist, he had on record with a Guinness record book and one of the biggest hands ever. And, you know, he, of course, played laid with such delicacy and we can see with his own recordings but I think what's interesting is more that in even in his concertos it seems that the music is there first it's not only a vehicle for the virtuosity and in that sense I feel that symphonically Rachmaninoff of course is completely freely expressing his ideas without having to think about putting himself at the center of it as a pianist. So perhaps it touches in a more pure way or more essential, I would say, what his message is. But I do believe that the concertos are a great preparation for the forms of the symphonies, with the exception that the symphonies tend to be slightly longer than the concertos. I certainly think that the history of both the symphonies and the concertos are very similar, or they follow each other with events in the life of Rachmaninoff. Now this first album in the series, which was selected by Gramophone as the recording of the month for February 2021, contains the symphonic dances, Rachmaninoff's last major composition, written for and dedicated to the Philadelphia Orchestra, who premiered the piece 80 years ago. Now that was early in Eugene Ormandy's tenure as conductor, and I believe he was still sharing the podium at that time with Leopold Stokowski. Was it Ormandy or Stokowski who conducted that premiere? Oh, uh, Eugene Ormandy conducted the premiere and their connection was actually more between the two. And it's true that Stokowski had a great connection with Rachmaninoff, a little bit like he had a great connection with some other wonderful contemporary composers that he brought to the United States for the first time. So many world premieres he gave in Philadelphia, such as Stravinsky, Rite of Spring. There were a lot of world premieres, a lot of Shostakovich symphonies as well. And Rachmaninoff was part of this, but I think the connection was especially between Ormandy and Rachmaninoff himself. And in fact, what has been very helpful recently in rediscovering those symphonic dances in Philadelphia was the fact that we have access now to some footage not previously released of a session where Rachmaninoff played his own symphonic dances for Ormandy to kind of show him how he wanted it to be performed. And it's a unique window in how the mind of Rachmaninoff has a composer worked and how he could express it to Ormandy and it's very touching to witness this connection between the two but also for me to step <laughs> in that tradition with the musicians of the Philadelphia Orchestra now in the 21st century. 
This first release spans more than 40 years of Rachmaninoff's musical history. Can you talk about coupling the first symphony with the symphonic dances and the synergy of these two pieces on the same recording? I like, of course, every time I program things, I like to have a perspective for and show to our audiences maybe a different perspective on some works that we perform. And the symphonic dances are better known in general than the symphony number no. one. And if we read the history of music, we quickly see when any biographies of Rachmaninoff that the premiere of the first symphony was such a disaster and was so badly received with very, very harsh words from the critics at the time that this led to Rachmaninoff having a creative drought and really went into depression from which he emerged only with the second piano concerto and later the second symphony. And that has led me to discover or pay attention even more to the first symphony to try and understand what could have gone wrong. And discovering this piece was fascinating because the language, the written language is slightly more difficult to get through than the symphonic dances, which are such a marvel of clarity, the way it's written for the orchestra and the way it's orchestrated. And it's normal that a younger composer at that time just had maybe more trouble to get his ideas across the way he was writing them. But the first symphony, once we can get the care and attention and rehearsal and study it deeply, like we did together in Philadelphia, it's emerging as a fantastic masterpiece. And especially especially, and that's why we coupled the two together, is that not only is it the beginning and the end of Rachmaninoff's symphonic journey through his life, but also in the symphonic dances, he is quoting at the end of the first dance, but in major key, the main theme of the first symphony, almost as if to say that he has come to terms and to peace with the struggle he had and the difficult moments he had when the premiere of his first symphony when he was a young composer and he was so discouraged and now later in his life he finally had reached this kind of serenity. And another common point is the tam-tam stroke at the very end of the piece in the symphonic dances, which is an amazing effect and something very unique in the orchestral world. But that tam-tam happens a minute before the end of the first symphony.
there's a common point almost as the older composer looking at his earlier work and finally the famous theme of the dies irae the day of judgment that was going through many 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 pieces of rachmaninoff in general but especially strikingly between the first symphony and the symphonic dances there is this little motif of a few notes of pa da di da di da di di comes through and is expressed in different manners and that has been a leitmotiv through the life of Rachmaninoff and those two pieces together show it. Commenting on this cycle of symphonic works, you called the pieces the Alpha and Omega of Rachmaninoff's life as a creator. Every composer has a journey, you know, and it's fascinating, I think, to understand each and every work that we play from a composer to know where it fits in the journey and some of the pieces you know i will take the example of beethoven which you know all his symphonies are very well known but what makes the fifth stand out or why is it the most famous it's because it's actually was preceded by four other symphonies which led to this incredible masterpiece of focused concentration like the fifth symphony and also opened the door or paved the way for the rest of his symphonies. So I always try to approach works this way. In the case of Rachmaninoff, we have four piano concertos, we have the Rhapsody, and we have three symphonies, the symphonic dances as a piece, and also a few short orchestral pieces, and his wonderful cantata, The Bells. So it's not so many pieces if you put them all together, but the last piece that really he completed as a symphonic composer was really the symphonic dances so that normally should be his um, swan song or maybe the piece where we could consider he said it all with the maximum of his compositional powers and skills and the very first notes he composed for orchestra was the first symphony so we can see really the journey I think we can witness from the very opening bar of the first symphony to the last bar of the symphonic dances if we listen to the album in its entirety it's showing us the frame or the scope of the evolution of this composer through the ages taking perhaps the late romantic Russian character and bringing it 
in a resolutely mid 20th century approach to rhythm, to the complexity of the orchestration and adding a saxophone, a piano, a lot of percussion into the mix of his recipe for music against a more traditional orchestration earlier for the first symphony. So yes, it is the Alpha and Omega because listening to this album, I think you get a real sense of what Rachmaninoff and the richness of what he could offer. And the middle symphonies that we're going to release eventually will give us more insights in the middle of this. But that is definitely, this album is the frame. And Rachmaninoff, who died in 1943, wrote with the sound of the Philadelphia Orchestra in mind, so the group has a unique legacy as champions of this composer. It's very clear to me, whenever I conduct some Rachmaninoff's music with the Philadelphia Orchestra, that it's in the DNA of the orchestra, but it's also like you feel you touch a certain shrine, I would say. It's taken so seriously and so at heart by the musician that it's irresistible for a conductor, it's a treat. The famous richness of the strings has to do a lot with legato and a true legato work, a true line that's seamless, is achieved by a certain way of playing and one of the ways to do a true legato is something that is considered nowadays wrongly as something too much of the past or out of fashion, but there shouldn't be anything like fashion in music. You know, there shouldn't be such a thing. In Rachmaninoff's time, there was a great use of portamento, so real slide that goes from one note to the other. which is the ultimate way of connecting two pitches together. So that's the ultimate legato. And when we listen to how the strings do this in Rachmaninoff, I think it's kind of a lesson for anyone who wants to approach late romantic works, and especially Rachmaninoff, but also Tchaikovsky and also other composers. And the strings of the Philadelphia Orchestra master this so well, and I only have to kind of 
open the door to it or welcome the musicians to it and they actually know exactly how to do it. But this is also combined with a sense of the dark colors and that's very hard to explain but our woodwind section, our brass section, our timpani, uh, the percussion, everyone is committed in Philadelphia to create this patina that's never too bright or never too harsh. You know, there's always a nobility to the sound and always kind of a varnish that makes everything, even when it's the most forceful moments or the most intense moments, it makes everything resonate in a beautiful way, a true manner. And I think that is an the elegance of Rachmaninoff, even when we hear some recordings of Rachmaninoff himself conducting or especially playing, he never was one to play too loud or play too fast. There was always something really refined and the refinement combined with this generosity is how I could characterize the Philadelphia Orchestra's playing and especially in Rachmaninoff. The album, as you know, is released on the Dolby Atmos format, which gives this super surround sound, immersive listening experience. What is your awareness of that? Is that meaningful to you? I think in this day and age, where music is accessible a lot on smart devices, it's a lot on streaming and downloading. It has changed enormously and some of it I applaud because I think the more access to music we can have, the better it is for music. It comes with a lot of challenges too and that's very important to be aware of, but I'm all for sharing music to the most people as much as possible. However, when we talk about an orchestra and the richness of the orchestration, I think that the best quality and to have people really investing in hearing some pieces in the best possible atmosphere. It's not only like sitting in the concert hall, it's an enhanced way of sitting in a concert hall. And I believe that newly formatted things like this Dolby Atmos is really a great way for real passionate people to get to sense, feel, even taste the Philadelphia Orchestra sound in these pieces. So I'm applauding Deutsche Grammophon to actually still innovating with uh, these kind of releases because clearly the sonics of our hall combined to our orchestra and the way it was captured during these live recordings are worth trying with this Dolby Atmos. going to close out our interview with a question that probably everybody who interviews you asks you. You're on the concert stage, you're in the orchestra pit, you're behind the piano. How do you do it? I consider myself just so lucky to be able to make music for a living to do my best with all my fellow musicians to bring beauty to the world, to bring comfort, to bring joy, to bring ways of dreaming of a better world 
through the music of the great composers of now and of the past. And I'm blessed to be at the helm of such incredible institutions and groups of musicians like the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Metropolitan Opera Chorus and Orchestra and the Orchestre Metropolitain and my family of guest orchestras. And when I play the piano, which has been more the case recently, I also feel it's a different way for me to relate to music, but at the end of the day, it's all the joy of bringing beauty to the world. And what gives me the energy, honestly, is just having this passion for music and for communicating all my emotions through it. Yeah, every day I wake up, I feel lucky to be doing what I do. And I certainly feel it's a great responsibility also. And I want to keep doing this for many, many, many decades to come. <laughs> Maestro Yannick Nezitsegen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss this Rachmaninoff recording cycle with Deutsche Gramophone. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.